This is my daughter about a year ago. We're hiking up in Summit County, up past the city of Breckenridge underneath Bald Mountain. We're walking up a wide, twisting trail that snakes through the trees. A small river darts in and out on one side of us. Among many other things, she's marveling about how high she's hiked. What are you doing right now? Huh. Me? Yeah. Stacking in Uh-huh. I don't care if I get wet. You don't care if you get wet? Yeah, because I can, cause I can snuggle up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not that far away from the cabin, are we? No. But I can't believe I got to get this far. Are you so excited? Yeah, I made a we're not going to make it up to tree line today, but it's not much farther up the hill, maybe about another half hour or so. The area is dotted with abandoned mining camps and equipment. We won't see any of that today either. She's a small five-year-old and those little legs will only go so far. Instead, we'll build a little dam out of rocks and branches in the spring runoff, then turn around and go back to our little cabin, just a short walk from the trailhead. When I first started coming up here, before the kids, when my wife and I had just started dating, I only just kind of liked it. I mean, I liked the scenery and I liked getting out of the city a bit, but I would get bored and I would get restless. I always wanted to be on the move. I wanted to be back in the city or somewhere else where there was more activity and more people. I should also mention that I was a heavy smoker and a drinker then, and I didn't really recreate at all. That part may have also had something to do with my attitude, but now, this area has become one of my favorite places on earth. The cabin, the trails, the mountain. We hike in the summer, we cross-country ski in the winter. It's relaxing and invigorating. And by the way, relaxing and invigorating are things I never thought I would be interested in when I was younger. Of course, it's not solely the place that's brought on this change of perception. Obviously, there's other factors at play here too, namely my wife and of course our kids. But the place is important here, the beauty, the solitude of it, the close proximity to both nature and history. There's a power there. I'm obviously not the first person to notice it. There are thousands of songs, photographs, movies, books, and other art that cover this subject as well. That's what today's episode is about, the power of place, places that are different than home, but important to us nonetheless. We'll start with a story from a guy I met recently, Josh Goldstein. Josh grew up in Englewood, and as he was growing up, he became enamored with a place called the Cinderella City Mall, a place he never got to visit. But the mall, and the story behind the mall, has followed him most of his life. And even though he's never set foot inside it, Josh has spent more time in the Cinderella City Mall than he ever thought possible. A quick guide to some terms before we jump into the story. 
you're going to hear the term Anchor Store a lot. An Anchor Store is a large, well-known department store that sits at one end of the mall. These stores kind of act as an attraction for people to visit a mall and hopefully the other small stores within it. Think of Macy's or JCPenney's. You're also going to hear the term back of the house. This is a connected system of hallways behind all the stores. It's where the stores and restaurants bring in supplies and take out trash and recycling. It's kind of like a mall's version of an alley. So let's head back to the late 90s. Let me set the scene for you. Will Smith was getting jiggy with it for the first time anywhere. Smoking was banned in all bars and restaurants in California. The Clinton Lewinsky story, well, it, it was. And pogs were a thing we paid attention to. And young Josh Goldstein's parents were driving into the city of Denver from the city of Englewood. I think I was about seven years old, six or seven years old, and my parents took me to a Globetrotters game. I remember this specifically because we took a weird route and we somehow went right by Cinderella City. And of course they had got me all psyched up about the Globetrotters and that's what I had on my mind. But then we were passing by this, this place and I, I, it just looked like this huge hulking building. It looked interesting to me because it was just this big building. It was dark, it was a huge parking lot. It was obvious to me that it used to be something. And I asked my parents, I said, what, what, what was this building? And they started telling me that you know, it was the center of life in Inglewood, and they remembered it, and how many great memories they had there. And I, as we're passing it by, I'm just noticing it's completely fenced off, it's empty, it's abandoned. I just couldn't really rationalize in my head, like, well, what happened to it then? If it was so important, if it was so great, why is it sitting there like that? And I remember we drove by it again, six months to a year later and by then it was really under demolition in the demolition phase and again I said is this that's that that place that that mall right and they're tearing it down and the scale of it really hit me because you know when it was when it wasn't being demolished you could really only see the parking lot and the, the facade but now that they had sort of ripped into it you're actually seeing like all the volumes and all the spaces that were inside of it and you know, it was gutted, so you really couldn't read. I couldn't read, like, what was this? Like, which part of the mall was this? I can't tell if this was a common area or a back of house or an anchor store or whatever, but it fascinated me because I could see into it. I could see into the dark void of what used to be this amazing shopping center, this amazing part of the community that my parents were telling me about. And I, again, I couldn't rationalize it. I just could not understand. So, so society has decided that this building, which used to be very important and used to be such, an, such a critical part of life, like, is now being demolished and it, and it also struck me the amount of waste like I, I I don't think I'd ever seen a building getting demolished and so the amount of waste struck me that there were piles of rubble and they were tearing it down and it just seemed so primitive it seemed so um, brute force and so again I asked my parents can you tell me more about this place I'm sort of fascinated by it now and around that time we had gotten a computer and I went online and I went and looked up Cinderella City Mall because I just could not believe that this place was really as amazing as, it, as my parents made it sound. I was almost calling their bluff. And then I looked it up, and Inglewood, the city of Inglewood, had this amazing website. They were doing sort of a live, almost a live blog, or you know, off, quick updates of the demolition of the mall and what it means for the community and what's gonna happen next. But they had a whole page on its history. They showed the glamor of it. Um, the opulence that it, that it used to represent, and I, that was it. I was just completely hooked. Goldstein's interest in the story of the Cinderella City Mall started when he was young, and really never ebbed. The story of the mall isn't just about a mall, it's about a man whose vision and realization of that vision had an outsized influence on Colorado's retail landscape. 
And I realized that Cinderella City was only part of a story uh, from this, this guy named Jerry Von Frelick, and he developed a bunch of malls around Colorado. And so I started looking into all of those, and I realized that he had woven a web of you know, shopping centers that really dotted the landscape around here in, in Metro Denver and um, sort of represented, I guess, you know, Denver's shopping scene in, in the 1960s. Von Frelick was a real estate developer from Texas. He'd hit some hard times out there and come to Denver to start over. This was in the mid-50s, so you have to think of the times a little bit. There were no malls, not the way we think of them anyway. And in Denver, as in other cities, there were a few main areas, maybe downtown and Broadway, where large department stores sat and most of the shopping traffic was directed. But the suburbs are growing, and there was an increasing need for shopping outside of the city. So Von Frelick was able to step right into this relatively open market. And the very first thing he did was develop Lakeside uh, Shopping Mall, which was by Lakeside Amusement Park um, in North Denver. And this was actually Colorado's, would eventually become Colorado's first enclosed mall, but its initial incarnation was partially open and partially covered. So he did sort of an interesting hybrid of um, design where a lot of shopping centers at the time, I mean, this was very early, this was 1956, so there weren't a lot of shopping centers at the time, but you know, there was clearly a trend in like post-war America, um, you know, a certain optimism. The Lakeside Indoor-Outdoor Mall was a very successful project for Von Frelick. This also allowed him to pay off his debts. And having done so, Von Frelick started dreaming bigger. He eyed a piece of property in a neighborhood called Cherry Hills and began mapping out a new vision. So he found this property, this KLZ radio tower on East Hampton, and at the time I, f I found articles that he was already referring to it, I think as a code name of Cinderella City. Uh, I don't know where he got that from or what it meant, but you know, it could have been an internal name that was never really meant to be um, official, but that's, he, he had this site, he found this place, and he said, I'm gonna build a shopping center there called Cinderella City. So around this time in 1960, he started putting together some concept drawings of what this new shopping center on the KLZ Radio Tower site would look like. In the Denver Post, he said, the architecture is of the Georgetown, Colorado era, a time of the gold and silver camps. The entire area, landscaped minus the signs, will be designed to blend like a park into the surrounding community. This is a fascinating statement from him because Lakeside was not at all like a park. It was very, just a huge parking lot and concrete buildings and um, definitely felt like, a you know, it's, it's in suburbia, but it's really its own a concrete cathedral, so to speak. So the fact that he was, I think that he was sort of a visionary and, and understood that shopping malls really probably shouldn't be that harsh. And, and so his next major project, this, this codename Cinderella City was actually going to be more landscaped, much more like a park and blending into the neighborhood, which I find fascinating. And of course, that's not at all how it turned out, but at least, at least he was thinking of it. So I have to admit here to being an unironic fan of this vision. And the idea of blending the shopping center into the community sounds very ahead of its time. But alas, it was not meant to be because there is a sea change happening in the field of retail store design. Wherever you go throughout America today, you will find an inviting new look in structures of every kind. Americans are building at what almost seems a fever pitch whole new communities in the restful countrysides, and whole new business districts, shopping centers with a flair for the dramatic in their architecture, striking new uses of glass, steel, concrete in the building materials. At the time, most malls, like Von Frelick's Lakeside Mall, were what you saw in suburban areas. 
But there were two things changing in the world that would start the boom of the modern mall. One, as we mentioned, more and more people were moving to the suburbs. And two, as heating, ventilation, and air conditioning technology improved into the 60s and construction methods improved, there was this idea that, well, rather than taking you know, the idea of an exterior Broadway or retail strip and, and making that the mall, why don't we cover it? And why don't we use air conditioning and heating to make people comfortable all year round so that even if it's snowing here in Colorado, you can come into the mall and see the same storefronts, but you're just under the cover of a roof, so it's much more convenient, much more comfortable. So I think very quickly the idea of a shopping center changed from let's just copy Broadway and move it to the suburbs to, well, now the suburbs has their own version of a, of a retail hub, and that's now known as a shopping mall. It seemed the mall boom was underway, and, along with a few other developers, Von Frelich was at the front of it. But from the very beginning, he had a much grander vision than what was happening at the time. The difference with Von Frelich was he had, I think he had the vision to make these malls thematic from the beginning. So he wanted to do more than just make a shopping mall. He was uh, probably not the only, but in my opinion, one of the first to say, well, not only can we make a shopping mall, but we can make this an experience. When I think of the idea of an experience back in the 60s, my mind goes to Disneyland or other theme park type places. And just as an aside, Denver actually did have a couple of places designed by Disney Imagineers, Celebrity Sports Center, and the still standing Casa Bonita. And the idea of an experience wasn't so different then than it is now. Quite simply, we're talking about the experience of being transported to somewhere else. A fantasy land or magic European castle or something. In this case, all while you do your shopping. And while Von Frelich was trying to get Cinderella City off the ground, he had a trial run at making a more interesting themed shopping experience with the Villa Italia Mall and the Crossroads Mall in Denver and Boulder, respectively. As the name suggests, Villa Italia had these Italian-esque Rococo flourishes at the entrances and throughout the mall, as well as fountains and bridges. And the Crossroads Mall in Boulder was meant to feel like the famous Flatirons Mountains nearby. While those projects went ahead, Von Frelich still had his sights set on Cinderella City. It was clear from the beginning that he had this idea of making this codename mall, Cinderella City, something much different than anything else out there, certainly different than his previous mall, Lakeside. And so he had these schematic drawings showing highly landscaped designs and, and you know, evocative of the Georgetown, Colorado era. So I think he was trying to pick up on, like, what is Colorado's story? What can I, what can I take from Colorado's history to make it you know, again, turning it into a fantasy, turning it into a narrative. What can I take from Colorado's history and turn that into a shopping center? But he put together these, these proposals that the neighborhood hated. So when the public got wind that he was going to take this KLZ radio tower property, which was just open land, um, and turn it into a shopping center, there was a lot of pushback. There was enormous opposition. Um, in fact, there's, there's these photos of, of protesters on the KLZ radio tower site, and you know one of them has a poster that reads, uh, roses are red, violets are blue, Cinderella City, I hate you. And this other one has a, this guy drew a very abstract painting and it says, as abstract as Cinderella City. So I think already there was like a lot of distaste for, first of all, don't put a shopping center here and also don't put something ridiculous like Cinderella City, what does that even mean? But he, you know, a classic developer, he, thinks he has the research, he's done some of the studies, he 
argued with the, the um, community in these meetings and he said um, he intended to build the mall regardless of all the opposition he was getting. And his quote is literally, three years of surveys show that's the place a regional shopping center is needed and should be located. And so he continued to release these renderings. They started getting more and more developed. And I think at some point, I'm looking at like 1962 renderings here. He had lost the Georgetown, Colorado thing. There's, you know, less vegetation, bigger parking lots. It's starting to look a lot more modern. He was an architect. So I think he was trying to keep in tandem with the architectural trends at the time. And so he would release these renderings, um, which are looking increasingly modern, I think, hoping to get people on board with, you know, come on, we're in the 1960s now, you guys want this shopping center, here's what it could look like, can you imagine yourself here? And in, uh, in 1961, um, most of a crowd of 300 people laughed and jeered when Von Frelich told the council and the community, I think the people in Inglewood and Arapahoe County want the shopping center in their city and county. So he was sort of, you know, usurping their agency and saying, you want this. Despite you saying you don't want this, you want this. So he got... He got um, rejected multiple times, 1960, and again in 1962, the city council rejected his proposals, and so he started over. Von Frelich was rebuked by the city of Englewood as he worked on his other projects, such as the aforementioned Crossroads and Villa Italia malls. He reimagined his entire concept for Cinderella City. He ended up going back to the drawing board after the KLZ Radio Towers property fell through. He basically gave up and he said, all right, well, there's plenty of other land in Inglewood. So he found another location at Santa Fe and Hamden, which was actually Inglewood City Park. And he put his team to redesigning and trying to shoehorn something around one and a half million square feet of retail space into a much smaller site than the original KLZ Radio Towers property. In order to do that and in order to fit as much parking that would be required to service all of those stores, they ended up choosing this crazy layout, which I've never seen in another mall since. Um, you know, I, I don't know if it just didn't work that well, but it was definitely atypical. And so it's this M or a W shape, depending on how you look at it. And his idea was that everything would sort of revolve around this central atrium. The plans were out and available for the public to see, but... There was huge opposition to this too, huge. Unlike the KLZ Radio Towers site, which was primarily a, you know, sort of an unused commercial land, this was Inglewood City Park. This was a huge asset to the community. So there was a coalition called Save the Park. And then there was another coalition that he made called New Inglewood, which is fascinating to me that he basically was not shy about, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm going to upend what you think of as old Inglewood, and we're going to call this New Inglewood. This is bringing Inglewood into the, into the future, bringing Inglewood into the now. And so he um, ended up getting a rezoning approved by city council on a five to two vote, but 20% of the citizens of Inglewood petitioned which triggered this obscure rule that three quarters of the city council would have to vote for this. And so this went all the way to the Colorado Supreme Court. And again, he looked at, he was trying to build Cinderella City in 1960. So we're now three to five years in and there is no ground broken. There is nothing but renderings. And so this is, you know, clearly becoming like he's just getting more and more um, determined to get this built. And so in 1965, this went to the Supreme Court and he ended up winning um, in the Supreme Court. While this was going on, he was basically building on the design. And I've got a rendering here that shows the same M-shaped layout, but much more modern. You can see some of the design details are coming in. You can start to see some of the modern um, colonnades that, that ended up being part of Cinderella City. So it's starting to get fleshed out. He's starting to lure tenants in and say, you know, you want to be a part of this vision, right? So let's put you in there. I'll make a rendering of it and we'll get people to buy into it. And he also did a nice rendering of what he called New Inglewood's Block Square Central Plaza, which had the idea of fluted columns, like ended up 
happening in there, the idea of water features and plants, which ended up becoming part of the final design. So he was, despite not yet having approval to build this, he was going all out with some of these design details that he knew would be part of this if he could win. At this time, he was considering Cinderella City to be truly a city. He wanted to do something more than a shopping mall. So this is one. Of, this is probably one of the earliest uh, pieces of evidence of somebody saying, well, the shopping center can be more than just a shopping center. So he wanted to put a hotel in there. There were articles that mentioned city offices being inside this uh, mall. And I think some of that was concessions like, okay, City of Inglewood, I know you don't want to lose your park, but not only am I gonna, going to give you a shopping center, I'm going to give you a place to meet your council members and meet your police department and have, and have a hotel and all these things that you don't think would be part of a shopping center, they could happen here. In a way, what this is, is what we now call a mixed-use development. Kind of. Mixed use is in high vogue among developers these days. It's basically a blend of shopping, living, and recreational space all in one place. Picture in your mind a shiny architectural graphic with an apartment building on top of a few shops and some grass and trees in front. Von Frelich wanted all of that, but under one roof in a private, climate-controlled, indoor environment. So finally, in 1966, after winning in the Supreme Court, um, he, they, made, they, ground, they broke ground on Cinderella City on March 31st of 66. And this was six years after Cinderella City was first conceived. And um, as a concession, Von Frelich paid the city of Inglewood a million dollars to build 11, what, what he called smaller and safer parks around Inglewood, which did end up happening. Um, but that was, you know, he definitely was aware that the community did not want to lose their main park. So he said, fine, I'm going to take your park and I'll give you 11 smaller ones. And then of course, so it opened and there was all these, there was a lot of press about it and he made this big center court. And so in the historical narrative, they mention his idea of that center court in the middle of that M-shaped layout. And they said, as, in addition to serving as a meeting and resting place, Von Frelich thought the central plaza would serve as a gigantic magnet attracting trade shows and other events from the entire area. So he had the idea that this was going to be more than just a shopping center, just more than just a row of shops. He put this center court in there that was really supposed to be a meeting and a gathering place for Inglewood. He wanted trade shows. He wanted um, you know, all sorts of community events to happen in there. So I think from early on, he knew that this was going to be more than a mall. So what does that mean exactly, more than a mall? Von Frelich wanted this to be a grand, luxurious space. There was a huge fountain right in the center. And the mall was big, but not so big as to be disorienting or intimidating. In order to mitigate that feeling, and in keeping with Von Frelich's idea of the mall as an experience, this was his other major innovation they decided to color code the different parts of the mall. So there were five distinct um, color-based areas in the mall. There was Rose Mall, Gold Mall, Blue Mall, Shamrock Mall, and then they used to have one in the original design, it was called Sunflower Mall. And Sunflower Mall didn't really have much of a, much of a character, I don't think, so they ended up turning that into something called Cinder Alley, which we'll get into a little later. But yeah, so they had these five malls, and this was very much a part of their initial marketing, like moms are gonna go shop for their nice clothes in Rose Mall, and the dads might go to Gold Mall, and the kids are gonna go down to Sunflower Mall, and then everybody gathers in the Blue Mall. So there was this whole concept of using color to designate places, and, and, and then the parking lots were the same way, you park in the Rose, you know, Rose Upper, Rose Lower, you know, things like that. So they used color as, a, as an organizational method. It probably would have felt amazing to walk into this place the first time. Uh, you know, it was, again, 
being color-coded, I think there was a certain level of opulence that you would perceive from this mall, the Rose Mall with its beautiful shades of pinks and reds and the Blue Mall. And there were also other things like there were orange tiles and this beautiful lighting. They did a lot of interesting things with their drywall and so there were lots of complex curves and things where the light could bounce off and catch your eye. All the columns and the colonnade were very specifically designed with these complicated curves and this complicated geometry and it felt very opulent. It felt very almost progressive, you know, malls typically did not pay this type of attention to things like their columns or their ceilings. And so there was, I think it would have been breathtaking to come into this mall for the first time with the color and the, um, the height of the space too. All of the main malls in Cinderella City were two floors tall. Um, whereas something like Lakeside was always a one-level mall, so the, store, the height of the storefront was the height of the ceiling in the, in the main corridor. Well, Cinderella City didn't do that. They, they had all of the main corridors two levels tall, so something like 24 to 30 feet tall from you to the ceiling, and it just felt, I, I would imagine it would feel almost over, overwhelming um, to have the ceiling you know, above you that, that far up, and there were multiple levels, and you can sort of get glimpses into the mezzanines, and you kind of wanted to go explore and see what that was. This mall had like a lot of hidden, sort of um, spaces that made you want to go explore and walk around, take your time, experience this place, experience every inch of this place, walk up the stairs, check out the mezzanine. They, want, they wanted you to stroll through this mall and experience it from all angles. And right in the center of it all, this fountain in the middle sprayed and went almost and touched, almost touched the ceiling. And so you've got a lot of water, you're pushing a lot of volume through these pipes and then sending them up and then letting them cascade down and it was very loud. So my understanding is you could actually hear the fountain from every end of the mall. And it was like, as you got closer to the big central gathering space, you could hear the fountain grow louder and you knew you were coming to the heart of the place. So it was this big, impressive display of lights and plants and water. You know, there were different jets, but there was one main jet, but it was just, it was sort of a cacophony of of community and water, and it, I think it, I think he sort of wanted to draw people in from all ends into the center court using this water feature. Von Frelich knew he would be taking business away from the main corridor of Broadway, so he wanted to recreate that space for local retailers in the mall. After the backlash of the community, when he couldn't get the mall built on the other site, he definitely seemed to court local retailers, smaller mom and pop shops, and so. Uh, a lot of Cinderella City's original anchor lineup was smaller local places, and Cinder Alley ended up becoming probably the best uh, encapsulation of that idea. It had the whole concept of like an old English uh, street. So there were there were gas street lamps down there that were mounted into the sidewalks. There were sidewalks in the in this lower level area where typically malls wouldn't put sidewalks because you're not outside anymore. There's no need for a curb. He decided to actually build out everything so it felt like you were walking down an old English street with these little shops on either side of you and little street lamps to illuminate the place. Rather than being one long corridor with shops on either side, which is how most of the rest of Cinderella City was, Cinder Alley had a corridor that, like that, but it also had these little offshoots, these tiny little alleyways that, were, that would zigzag around and it was very easy to get lost in there. But also, again, part of the narrative, you would feel like you were in a completely different world. And so Cinder Alley was um, his version of a, of a local artisan market and bazaar, and where, where smaller shops could start up with a very low cost of entry and set up a little storefront and make some money versus you know the larger shops where they'd pay more in rent and they'd have to do more fixtures and more interior design for their store. This was, this was designed, I think, to be a very like low barrier of entry for smaller shops to get into a huge regional shopping center like this. And I've never seen anything quite like this in any other shopping mall I've ever researched or heard about.
So that was kind of the overall vision for this mall. But remember, Von Frelick wanted his mall to be an integral part of the community. For better or worse, he wanted the mall to be woven into the fabric of Englewood. One of the things, you know, Von Frelick was considering this a city under a roof, truly a city under a roof. All sorts of services and other things that were part of the mall were not typically part of malls. And one of the best examples of that that I learned as part of my research into Cinderella City was they had something called the Inglewood High School City Campus that was on the third level of Cinderella City. And this was um, literally a small outpost of the Inglewood High School, which I went to, um, that they, they reserved a big space in the mall and had this city campus, which was had special classes and kids would actually go to the mall to go to school. And I have this quote from Denver Post, this shopping center is probably the only such complex in the world which has its own high school classrooms with Inglewood School's city campus on the office level with 310 pupils attending. And Jerry Von Frelick at the time in 1970 said, brick and mortar will fall from this building someday, but the idea of city campus will long outlive anything I build. Do you think that's true? Well, he was certainly right about brick and mortar falling from the building someday. Uh, no, so City Campus did not seem to last very long. I, I don't, there's not a whole lot of articles about when it ended, but it, I don't think it lasted more than 10 years. For a while, this vision of his, the mall as a community center, a hub for everything, it really was true. There were fall festivals, pop-up tennis courts, and mini golf. They would put on plays in the center court. Heck, they even hosted the world's longest strawberry shortcake contest. But as you might be guessing, and the reason we're telling this story the clock was already ticking. There was a period of time where Von Frelick's idea was actually working very, very well. He got the trade shows he wanted, he got the community involvement he wanted, but inevitably things age, and so there were some first signs of things starting to go a little, a little, you know, the mall started getting old, um, even not even that long into it, not even that far into it. So about 10 years in, they, they actually had a Cinderella City 10-year anniversary, which I, I always found fascinating because typically shopping centers don't like to talk about how old they are. But even then, there were like signs of some of the malls, the mall was starting to age. There were, you know, of course, lights are going to burn out. But a lot of the photos I have from this era, the mall started to seem very dark. Um, you know, the lights were, would get burnt out and they wouldn't be replaced very quickly. So it just started started to feel sort of dark, a little bit dingy. My, you know, there's some of these photos that show that. My, even my mom said that at, at this point, you know, it started to feel, there were parts of it that were starting to feel a little unsafe. And I think that that's, that's sort of a subjective thing, but certainly down in the parking deck where it's, you know, dark and covered. There were a lot of recorded incidents of thefts and assaults happening in the parking garage. Um, I think people were starting to come around to, you know what, I, I kind of want more sunlight. I want more, I want to feel like I'm outside. I don't want to feel like I'm inside of this, you know, dark, dingy shopping mall. I don't want to, I don't want to go through the lower level and, and walk through darkness to get into the basement level of the mall. And so um, there's even articles that say customer merchant security is improving at Cinderella City. I think they were aware of the perception that like, we've got a bit of a dark mall. Um, it starts to feel a little unsafe. And I've read, I know some people that used to uh, work down in Cinder Alley and it just kind of felt like, um, you know, a little bit of the Wild West. There wasn't a lot of security down there at the time. There weren't a lot of, um, there wasn't a lot of oversight. So as I've heard, and again, I can't really verify this, but there was, there was drug usage happening down there and um, just some, maybe some not ideal behavior and some situations that made people feel uncomfortable. That unsafe feeling wasn't only about the dark corners and whispers of crime. At the same time, um, there was a bit of a structural problem. So Cinderella City was built on this park, and my understanding is before the park was built, it was actually a city dump. 
and um, this, there started to be some structural issues, so Penny's ceiling needed support, apparently, according to one of these articles, and there's this great quote from the historical narrative. When asked if the JCPenney store had been in danger of collapse, the inspecting engineer, Frazier, responded, it would be wise to shore it up. How's that for evading your question? Around this time, Von Frelich sold his interest in the mall. His vision was as complete as it was ever going to get. His quote at the time was, I didn't plan to sell it when we put it together, but I'm selling it because the management and continuing expense is more of a problem than I really want to take on at this point. So this, this brings us to when Cinderella City got its biggest renovation, its major turning point, where a new company was in charge, and they actually took out a lot of the stuff that, made Cinderella, that gave Cinderella City character in the first place. They painted over all of the old colors, so the Rose Mall was no longer red, it was just beige or like an off-white. Gold Mall, same thing, they painted over the gold. Blue Mall also lost its color, so they took a lot of the stuff that made Cinderella City, um, that gave it character, and just took it away. So these malls kept their names, they were still known as Gold Mall, but they didn't look it and the materials had changed, and there was, a, there was a lot more light and a lot more plants, but they, they took out that big fountain that was in the center court, um, and so there was no longer sort of a thing to gather around. They ended up cutting open the holes in the floor, and they put a, a food court down in the parking garage. Cinderella City was not built with a food court, it just had restaurants that were scattered around, and I think in the 80s when this new company took over, they said, well, all the other malls have food courts, and we don't have a food court, so we gotta make one. Well, where can we put one? So they decided to put it underneath where the fountain was, in, in an area where there was underground parking. I've heard a lot of anecdotal things, like it was kind of weird, the food court was weird, it's down in the basement and you're, you're standing up in the blue mall where there used to be a fountain, you're looking down onto people eating, you know, it's a little little bit of a strange experience. And so I've, I've, I've also heard a lot of people just say that's when the mall really took a turn for the worse. And to top it all off, the competition in the world of malls heated up. You had Southwest Plaza, Tamarack Square, the Aurora Mall, and many more. And these didn't just present options for consumers. Mall design itself had changed since the Cinderella City Mall was built. A lot of malls at the time were doing like the 45 degree angles, and so there was a lot of like visual interest, a lot of geometric interest, and Cinderella City didn't really have that. It had this big M shape, but actually when you're in it, it's very 90 degrees, long corridors, retail, whereas a lot of other malls were sort of making you kind of jog around and making the, the, the experience of passing through the mall more interesting. And so I think while the renovation was pretty major, they didn't actually change the core layout at all of the shopping mall. And so you've still got the innate problem of basement level shops, um, and a lot of the basement level shops, the way they were designed, could not get holes cut in the floor, so you still did not get any sunlight down there. So they could cut openings in the floors in certain areas, but it would never quite have the feeling of some of these newer shopping centers because inherently its design would prevent that. These seemingly little things would start to add up. Also, during the renovation, there was another major change the new company made. One of their final things that they did is they tore down the cinema and the newsteaders, and they replaced it with this huge Broadway Southwest. This was the last phase of Cinderella City's renovation and it was supposed to be one of the most impactful because it's a brand new anchor store and they tore down an entire piece of the mall to do this. And the ironic thing is two years later, Broadway Southwest was out of business. And so they had the same problem of like, well, we've got an entire anchor store abandoned. And so they ended up replacing it with Foley's and then they ended up replacing it with a few other things. Um, so it, it was a, kind of a tough thing, I think, that, that this was designed to really drive foot traffic. And, and my understanding is for a while it worked. But of course, having your anchor store disappear certainly didn't help things. And like I said, I think the renovation didn't quite go far enough. So it helped things in the short term, but inevitably foot traffic again slowed as some of these other shopping centers popped up. Having said that, there was a lot of interesting things happening in the 80s. There were, you know, uh, Inglewood would still 
put events on, not as much, not, not as many focuses on, on community events, but you know, the parades would come through the mall and um, apparently somebody got married there. I have this great photo of uh, the bride and the groom cutting their cake in the center court after the fountain was removed. So, you know, to some degree, I guess, you know, taking out the fountain, it certainly hurt it, but I think that there was a little bit of a renaissance at a time, at this time where, oh, you know, it got a brand new coat of paint and it's got some new interesting things. You can look down into the food court and I think people still had a huge, so a huge um, place in their heart for this mall. And so enough that even after the renovation, I have a photo of somebody getting married there. I asked Josh if the mall was built to last, not in a metaphorical way, really, but structurally in the way that you might see a classic older brick building or a large steel and glass skyscraper. It's amazing to me that even at the time it opened, there were people sort of complaining about it felt a little flimsy, it felt a little cheap. You know, I think Von Frelick and his team had admitted that, you know, our contractors may have used subpar concrete in some areas, and so we have to go shore those up. Or Penny's closed for a while for structural repairs, and, you know, I think the mall had to do a little bit of damage control, like, hey, did you build this mall correctly in the first place? Well, we had, there were some small issues, we've since fixed them, but I do think that there was a, a bit of, um, you know, I'm not sure if they were thinking about how long this mall would last um, you know, do you put a hundred year concrete into that? It doesn't seem like they did, you know, it's where it's thin enough and it's sort of not made well enough that it's going to need major repairs within two or three decades. Um, so it's, it's tough to say, but I certainly don't think it was built as well as maybe some of those, you know, department stores that we have here or even in New York city that were, you know, fortified and, and clearly built for like longevity. So as Goldstein mentioned, the department store Broadway Southwest closed and in a way it was like a table leg breaking. Once one leg goes, well, you know the rest. What also happened around the same time was the Denver Dry Goods closed in Cinderella City. So Cinderella City had four main anchors, and two of them now are abandoned. And so there was a very there was a scramble to get something fixed. And these were both in the same um, wing of the mall. And so in 1987, Montgomery Ward opened up inside of where the old Denver Dry Goods was. And this they you know I have photos of the fanfare that happened when this when this happened. I think they really wanted to like keep indicating like we're not dying. We're there's a brand new store. Come shop at our brand new store. And similarly with the Broadway Southwest building, they got. Um, it used to be, a, it was a May DNF. They, they got in there and then they got a Foley's in there. So their their period of losing their anchor stores was short-lived, which was really good. And, you know, I'm sure they were thankful for that. But it started to indicate that, like, there might be some changes happening in the, in the economy that we need to be prepared for, that we have already lost two of our anchor stores and they've replenished them. But I think it was a bit of a, you know, it might have set off some some red flags to people. And that brings us to the early 90s. And if you are anything like me and had a fascination with dead and dying malls, you would have seen what it looked like firsthand. In 1991, there's this great article from the Westward, um, Michael Roberts. The article is called Schemes from a Mall. Will it take a fairy godmother to save Cinderella City? And one of my favorite quotes is, the corridors are quiet, too quiet. And, and I think that, you know, some of the, a lot of the stores were hanging on and sort of waiting to see. I think around this time, there was a bit of a downturn in the economy, but um, it felt like Cinderella City's time, its, its, its glory days were over. And um, this is when things really started to go south quickly. So there were articles that would come out, and this is not, you know, as a mall owner, you do not want to have articles coming out like this, but Cinderella City now considered a, se a stepsister, and Inglewood to put Cinderella City up for sale, and Cinderella City owners want out. And again, this is, you know, six or eight years after a major renovation, and it, so it just didn't really last long. And this is when the anchor store started to pull out. So in... Uh, in 1994, Foley's, which had taken the place of uh, the original Broadway Southwest, announced that it was going to close its Cinderella City store. In the same year, 
JCPenney says is going to quit Cinderella City. And in the same year, Jocelyn said they're going to pull out in 1995. So it was almost as if, you know, in this case, the anchor stores were still there, but I think they saw some writing on the wall. And this is when it really went downhill quickly, because again, once you lose your anchor stores, all the other stores are at risk. Um, and so in 1995, the Denver Post put this article together, and one of my, another great quote was, there's a spooky feel to the mall's interior where empty chairs and closed up stores give the 1.2 million square foot Hulk the feel of a commercial ghost town. There's a few photos I have where, you know, the lights are on, but nobody's home. It's pretty amazing. Like the stores are there, but no one's shopping. And so I think it, it just seemed like the stores held on for as long as they could, hoping that whatever downturn in the economy would, would quickly reverse itself. You know, this renovation really isn't that old, so people are gonna return, right? And I think at some point they just said, all right, this is, we're not going anywhere here, so we gotta pull out. And that's, that was really starting the death knell of Cinderella City. Like once you start losing these anchor stores, you're on your way out. So it was around this time that, you know, there was a smaller store, Wells Music. In 1995, the owner said, it's eerie in here. We're in a mall that's a tomb. The exodus came to its head in 1995 or so when, you know, there were just enough stores to, there's really four reasons to go there. It's a mall that was designed for several hundred stores and there were four remaining. By the mid-1990s, when all this started happening, they, the mall management started closing off entire wings. And that's, that's really when you know your mall's in trouble, when you, there's, so, there's no reason to go to an entire wing, so we're just gonna close it off. So instead of being a mall, it was really like you're going to a piece of the mall. And don't look over that rail, don't look over that wall, don't go in there, there's no reason, it's kind of dark, you know. So it really, it's, you know, felt pretty, it was, it was empty, it was abandoned for all intents and purposes. Um, Montgomery Ward was the last retailer to leave in 97, and Cinderella City closed to the public. At that point, it was clear to the city of Englewood that the mall was no longer a feasible space. The city needed to do something. They sort of vacillated between like, well, should we tear part of it down? Should we tear it all down? Should we leave it all and turn it into like a medical campus? You know, it was before the era of really considering adaptive reuse and, and some, some of the other options they had. Now, the good thing they did is they made it transit-oriented, so the light rail goes by there now. Um, but they effectively replaced the mall with a Walmart. And, some, and, and a lot of other, some other retail. I mean, they did do sort of the Main Street idea. If you've ever been to the redevelopment that happened in Cinderella City, it's like they brought Main Street sort of there where there's, you know, there's a little, there's a street with storefronts and, and um, offices above. So there were some successful parts of the redevelopment, but it certainly didn't have the, the quality or the character that Cinderella City had. And of course, a lot of the site is taken up by a Walmart, um, which, you know, it is what it is. Actually, one thing I'm really glad they did is they kept the, um, the Broadway Southwest building, which was the newest part of Cinderella City, that new anchor that they built in 1984. They tore everything else down around the mall, but they did keep the Broadway Southwest building and they turned it into, they renovated it heavily and they turned it into the um, Inglewood Civics or City Center, which has their offices, uh, the city's offices. It has the Inglewood Library. Um, it has the Museum of Modern Arts in it. So I think it was very cool that they took, I mean, that is a big building. You know, it, when you look at it relative to the whole mall, the mall is huge and that's just one little piece of it. But really, now that the mall is gone and you look at this huge anchor store, several hundred thousand square feet that they could use for various things. And so I think they, I'm really glad they did that. They saved some part of the mall from the landfill and adaptively re reused it. Cinderella City was gone and the mall's absence didn't exactly leave a vacuum in its wake, but the focus of retail dollars returned back to where they were before. When Cinderella City appeared and it took Jocelyn's, we used to be on Broadway in Inglewood and they moved it to the mall. Um, I believe JCPenney was on Broadway and they moved it to the mall. Broadway went through a really bad period of, um, it just, it did not, it did not coexist with the mall very well. The mall sort of 
um, you know, took a lot of that business and moved it. And now that the mall is gone, I think Broadway is just now, you know, it's, it's, been, it's been in a constant state of, of, of repairing itself. And I would say, you know, it's only in the last few years has Broadway really truly rebounded from the, the damage that the mall caused, where now Broadway is truly a place where people want to go hang out again. And there's really, you know, there's a lot of stores there, but Sin Real City sort of usurped a lot of that. But now we've sort of come full circle where Broadway is now the place to be and Sin Real City is long gone. So at this point, I'm sure you have to be wondering about how, and more importantly, why, Josh Goldstein knows so much about Von Frelick and the Cinderella City Mall. After seeing it hulking and empty that night back at the beginning of our story, eventually Josh went on to get a master's in architecture. He now works for a company that, among other things, makes 3D architectural software. But all the while, Goldstein kept thinking of that old mall he saw as a kid and the lore behind it and its impact on the community. So I've always had an interest in Cinderella City, and actually, um, about ten years ago, I started to model it in in SketchUp. Um, as a as a you know young guy, I was very interested in like rebuilding. It might have even been longer than that, like twenty years ago. Um, and I wanted, I was just fascinated by it. And I was like, can I rebuild this thing in three D? But at the time, I didn't have an architecture degree. I didn't know what in the hell I was doing. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and so I I, I kind of tried, and I gave up. Um, but now that I work at Autodesk, um, you know, I'm constantly building three-dimensional concept buildings, um, like I said, around Denver, where I take an existing building and do a renovation on it to show like what our product can do, what our software can do. Um, I decided a couple years ago to actually try again to model Cinderella City. Of course, this time I've got an architectural degree under my belt. Um, I know all about structural grids and how the, how it's laid out. I have I have a lot more information now than I did then. I have tens of thousands of images and I also have original floor plans and um, you know construction drawings. I have all the renovation drawings that they produced for their big renovation in 1983. Um, and so a lot of that gave me enough information to understand, like, you know, at, at its core, I needed to figure out, like, what is the structural grid? How far away are each column? And once I created that grid, everything else just layers on top of that. So I've been able to basically recreate the entire mall. And while building this 3D model of the mall, Josh realized he could do something else. Instead of just making a 3D model to look at, what if he could build a way for people to walk around in it, make it so you could wander around. You could see and hear the fountain, stroll past the Jocelyns and the fantastic Nathans, maybe even walk down Cinder Alley. And what if he could make it so you could walk around not just in one place in time, but in a way that you could see Cinderella City in all of the eras it existed in? See the gold mall actually in gold or stand where the fountain was or see what it looked like when there wasn't a fountain there at all. So that's just what he did. If you could go back in time and stand in that mall and experience it like we were talking about, you walk in the first time and you experience the opulence and the, and the height of the space and you can hear the fountain, what would that be like to do that and then actually fast forward 20 years and see what they did to it and how it changed you know, to become more of a generic regional shopping center that doesn't have the character it used to have. And then I realized like I could really do something amazing here. I can have the light fixtures, which I wasn't even planning on doing. I was planning on just kind of making them all roughly, you know, at a low level of detail to just like 
you know, oh, this is what it would feel like to walk in it. But really, now that I'm doing this, I realize I could do everything. I could put the light fixtures in. I, you know, when I do the 1960s version, I'll have the fountain in there. It'll actually be animated and you'll hear the sound. I'm right at the point where I'm about to fork it and say, okay, there's, the, there's this version in the 60s and 70s and there's this version in the 80s and 90s and I'm gonna be able to switch between them seamlessly. And I figured out how to do that in Unity using code where you'll be able to like hit a shortcut um, in virtual reality or even on your computer to just like, like that, just snap to, uh, you know, time travel basically into a different era and see exactly what it changed in that place that you're standing in. So you could be walking through the mall and just swap back and forth and see this place change over time. Goldstein has storefronts you can see and recreations of the typography of the store's signs and colors. He's amassed a sizable collection of old photographs from all the areas of the mall, so he's a pretty good reference library from that. And at some point in the future, you'll be able to toggle those photographs on and off so you can see where they are in the simulation. Goldstein wants to get these details right. Luckily, he isn't alone in all of this. I've had some creators offer their services. So I've actually, I've had a graphic designer help me with like the, the flags that were in Gold Mall. I'm actually getting to that level of detail, like the flags that were in the 1980s and 90s version. I'm getting all the, the graphics just right. And I had somebody offer, like I can help you make those flags and you can put them in the mall. I have people who make music who said, I make, you know, Muzak, basically like similar to like 1960s, 70s, 80s Muzak. And I'd like you to, you can use my music in your, in your shopping center. And so I've actually got two artists that are, or actually three artists that are represented from Instagram that are actually doing real work right now that have offered their music and I'm using it inside of the simulation. And so one of the other things that's gonna happen when you switch eras is you're gonna hear a distinct change in the music. So you're gonna see the mall change, you're gonna hear the music change, you're gonna hear the people's um, stories change because I'm gonna organize those stories so that they're in the right era. And of course you'll hear the fountain disappear and all that stuff. So it's gonna be pretty immersive with background noise and music and all sorts of things happening. And so I've, I've been able to crowdsource some of the work that goes into this, which I'm so thankful for because I wouldn't have been able to do any of that on my own. Goldstein isn't just building this to be a neat little simulation to wander around in. He's been very mindful of the community in Englewood who have fond memories of them all. And he wants to include those memories in his simulation. He wants to make sure those Englewood residents for whom the mall was an important part of their lives are heard. Well, I'm, I've actually set up a phone number where people will be able to call in to a number. It's actually 7 Sin City 68. I, got, I figured out how to get a phone number that had Sin City in it. Um, and so people will be able to call in and leave a voicemail of like just some memory, whatever comes to mind. And I'm going to use that audio in the mall. I'm gonna have three-dimensional people walking around, but each one of those people will be mapped to a real memory. So somebody will leave me a memory, some, something that they remember from a long time ago, and I'm just gonna use that audio and attach it to these people. So as you're walking through the digital Cinderella City, you're gonna be passing by people talking about their experiences at Cinderella City. So it's going to be a living, interactive history exhibit, not only of the architecture, but also of the people. At the time I interviewed Josh last winter, a lot of what he was working on was in development, but I caught up with him a few weeks ago, and the implementation of all of this is mostly complete. The two arrows are both there, and you can indeed switch back and forth between them. He's finishing the people up. They had a tendency to get stuck in places like escalators and doorways, but now they're moving around just fine. But as far as the future of the project, Josh is going to continue making small improvements. He does have one final idea, too. I'm also planning on doing um, 
another study of the mall. What would I have done if I had taken over in 1998 and you know I was somehow magically an architect or a developer and I could say, oh, here's what I would do with the mall. I'm gonna do an entire study of, I would cut it up, I wouldn't demolish it all, I would do smart things, but kind of sort of bring certain parts of it back to its original glory and mix an old and a new, um, you know, lots of light and trees. And you know, this place ended up not being at all like what Von Frelich wanted with, you know, integrating into the neighborhood and lots of vegetation. It was very concrete, tons of concrete, very hard, very harsh. So I wanna take the parking deck and like cut holes into it and have trees growing out of it and make a park that is around the building that is a juxtaposition with all the heavy concrete um, to make this place a really interesting adaptive reuse. And so in the end, the, the simulation is going to be switching eras from 1960s and 1980s, but also seeing an alternate reality future that you can switch to again in the same space where you can see, oh, this is what he would have done instead of tearing it all down. And so it's gonna be a very interesting, like my goal is to have people, I'm gonna have an exhibit maybe at the Inglewood Library where people will either put on a headset, a virtual reality headset, or just watch on a screen. But in the end, they'll be able to actually experience the mall in two distinct real eras. And then if they wanna see what I would have done in an alternate reality, they can see that too, and just hit a button to switch the entire place to see um, maybe a, you know another thought on what we could have done. The Cinderella City Mall was ahead of the curve in so many different ways. It was built to be an experience rather than just a shopping center. Its community-focused events and spaces foreshadow the new urbanist movement of today. And finally, the mall was ahead of the curve in its failure as well. It wasn't long after the Cinderella City Mall failed that, well, the other malls began to fold as well. Malls that would have been considered competition to Cinderella City, like Buckingham Square, North Glen Mall, South Glen Mall, Westminster Mall. And Von Frelick's other malls, Villa Italia and Crossroads, well, those would eventually fold too. Most of these spaces were filled with big box retailers like Walmart and Home Depot and the like, effectively turning these massive architectural curiosities into kind of generic spaces. The former Cinderella City mall space was filled with some of that, of course, but also mixed-use development as well. So in a way, Von Frelick's vision for that space did come to fruition, just not the way he intended. And the destruction of Cinderella City also led Josh Goldstein to become a creator of spaces himself. Before he became immersed in the world of 3D design software, Goldstein also designed shopping spaces. And his interest in Cinderella City also led to his interest in 3D modeling software and his current career in that space. It inspired him to learn and create something completely unique. To me, the Cinderella City Mall and Von Frelick's vision was most successful, not because of the sort of ersatz opulence of the initial mall design, but because of his larger idea of it being a community hub. When I saw Josh speak on his project last summer at the Englewood Civic Center, something struck me, something that went beyond the interest in the work that Josh has put into his remarkable recreation. During the question and answer portion of his presentation, people rose to talk about the experiences they had at Cinderella City, the birthdays they celebrated, the dates they went on, some of the favorite stores they used to visit. Josh didn't just remake the mall in a virtual way. I mean, he did. But he also tapped into the genuine love that people had for that space. And it felt like a kind of love that wasn't just simple nostalgia. We have a tendency to neutralize the power place by erasing it and moving on to the next building, the next use. Or, on the flip side of that, there's historic preservation, which captures a place in amber, never having to change it or examine its place in history. Josh's project has become a way for people to experience and share memories in an experiential way, which is truly as forward-thinking and creative as his muse, Von Frelick.
You can and should follow the Cinderella City Project on Instagram. That's instagram.com slash Cinderella City Project. They're on other social medias too, but you'll find a treasure trove of amazing images on their Instagram. But we'll have a link to all of those in the show notes. And if you have a memory of them all you'd like to share, we'll have a link to the phone number where you can record that in the show notes as well. Now, another thing we're going to put in the show notes is a place where you, yes, you, can download and play around in the virtual recreation of the Cinderella City Mall. Also, I'm going to include links where you can find the folks who have helped Josh build this whole thing, the designers and the sound artists and all that. We'll have links and their bios as well. And that is it for today's show. Low Orbit is produced by me, Josh Madison. If you have something you want to share with the world, some kind of sound thing you think people may enjoy, or a story, or even just an idea, or I don't know, maybe you just want to say hi. Low Orbit is on all the social medias, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and there is a handy email at denverorbit at gmail.com if that's your preferred method. And that's it. No more show. We will have a new one pretty soon this time. I promise. TV in the back. You may not have a car at all. Still